Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Can you believe we're starting this third week of Lent already? Wow, time flies. We were talking about this on Friday with Doug Keck, and here we are again. It is a Monday, February 26th. Great to be with you. And thanks to all the folks in the Philadelphia area over the weekend who helped organize a wonderful, wonderful event. I spoke at the uh, Pennsylvania for Human Life uh, event, and it was their fundraiser, their annual fundraiser that they have, and it is the Celebrate Life Banquet PA Pro-Life Federation. We had over 400 people there last night. It was just so much fun to meet so many great pro-lifers, including so many young people. There were a ton of young people there, so encouraging. So I just want to give a big shout-out to the organizers behind the PA Pro-Life Federation and their annual Celebrate Life Banquet, where I was yesterday, and I'm still actually in the Philadelphia area, heading home today after the show. So pray for safe travel. Pretty mild weather, though, uh, for Pennsylvania and for our part of the country, East Coast and Michigan as well, where I'm heading to, of course, after the show today. Speaking of the show and all things Catholic, I think you're really going to enjoy the interview that I did actually just recently recording this interview with my friend Ken Ogorek from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And this is a book that he co-wrote with somebody named Scott Hahn. I think you know who he is, the amazing Dr. Scott Hahn. Breaking the Bread, a Biblical Devotion for Catholics Year B. So they're going to have, obviously, based on the, the cycle of the readings, they're going to have more than one of these volumes. But it's just a beautiful way. And what's so great about this book is that you can break open, obviously, the scriptures for the Mass, but it comes with amazing artwork. And so you're reading and you're learning more about the faith by doing those readings, but then you're seeing the images of those scriptures in this beautiful book. So we'll talk with Ken, and he's been doing evangelization in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis for a long, long time, for decades, and he's been very, very busy, of course, working on the upcoming Eucharistic Congress, which is happening this summer in July. So he has a lot to say about all things Catholic, especially his book, Breaking the Bread, a Biblical Devotional for Catholics, Year B. Maybe you had the opportunity, and I mentioned this on Friday, to see some of the coverage you've already given to this really important publication by W. Brad Wilcox. Okay, and He has done so much research which is with his institute down in Virginia regarding the importance of marriage. And he's not coming at this from a Catholic or an evangelical or an uber-conservative way. He's just looking at the data as a researcher and as an expert on this topic, looking at sociology, the studies that show what happens when families break down. You know, everything that we talk about in the Catholic Church in terms of marriage and family, remember Pope St. John Paul II say the world will go the way of the family? I know I'm paraphrasing that a little bit, but basically he said the breakdown of the family is going to be a problem. Houston, we have a big problem. And we know this from the science and the evidence. So Brad put this together in a brand new publication, Get Married, Why Americans Must Defy the Elites, Forge Strong Families, and Save Civilization. Think about that. Save Civilization. This is how crucial this is. And again, he is talking about the secular research that backs this up. So really important information that he shares. And this would be great, I think, for anyone who enters into conversations, and I'm sure we will be doing that in this election year yet again. If you're entering into a conversation with a family member or a fellow parishioner 
about marriage and their misunderstanding about it in terms of what the church teaches and doesn't teach. And there is a lot of confusion, and some of it, of course, coming. And I'll get into that right now, but from within the church. But this is a great resource, and you can especially, or how about there's someone who's not even going to church anymore or wasn't raised Catholic. What does the research outside of quote-unquote religion say? And they might be very surprised because it backs up, go figure, natural law. So again, our guest this morning, Ken O'Gorick with the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, Breaking the Bread, a Biblical Devotion for Catholics Year B. And lots of great information from Brad Wilcox, which she put into a brand new publication, Getting Married, Why Americans Must Defy the Elites, Forge Strong Families, and Save Civilization. It is a Monday morning, February 26th. Great to be with you. Let's check the news. A day after canceling his audience due to what the Vatican called a mild flu-like condition, the Holy Father appeared in good spirits and good form during his weekly Angelus address yesterday. He marked the second anniversary of the war in Ukraine with a call for peace while urging the faithful to never direct your eyes away from the light of Christ. He said, how many victims, injuries, destruction, anguish, tears in a period that is becoming terribly long and of which the end is not in sight? The Pope added about the war. It began with Russia, he said, invading on February 24, 2022 and saying the conflict has unleashed a global wave of fear and hatred. Meanwhile, since the start of the conflict in Gaza, thousands of children, as Nathan Morley reports in the Vatican, have been exposed to distressing events and trauma marked by extensive destruction and displacement. Northern Gaza is virtually cut off from civilization. Its people, estimated to number 300,000, have been reduced to a dire existence. In the south, over a million people are jammed into every available space in and around the city of Rafa. Though more than 13,000 trucks transporting over 250,000 tons of humanitarian aid have entered the Gaza Strip since the start of the war, supplies of food, medicine and other essentials remain low. Over the course of this conflict, thousands of children have been injured and killed. Aid agencies report children reporting to hospitals with burns, open wounds and other serious injuries. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says victory is within reach once its operation in Rafah is completed. Unless we have total victory, we can't have peace. We can't leave Hamas in place. We can't leave a quarter of Hamas uh, battalions in uh, Rafah and say, mm-hmm. well, that's, that's fine. Speaking on CBS's Face the Nation, Netanyahu saying the military operation involves evacuating Palestinian civilians from Rafah. It's estimated there are more than a million Palestinian civilians in that region. The prime minister said Israel has destroyed 18 of the 24 Hamas terrorist battalions and four of the remaining six are in Rafah. Netanyahu noting that he is still open to a hostage release deal through negotiations and it would delay the Rafah operation. Meanwhile, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says Israel has not provided the president with details of evacuating Palestinian civilians out of Gaza's southern region of Rafah. We believe that this operation should not go forward until or unless we see that. We haven't seen it, but we're waiting to hear from the Israelis on that front. Speaking on Meet the Press, Sullivan did say that the White House has made it clear to Israel the U.S. will only support a major military operation in Rafah if there's a specific plan that guarantees that civilians are safe. Sullivan noted that Rafah is where trucks carrying humanitarian aid come through Egypt's border. And Tammy Tejio tells us NORAD says a high-altitude balloon they interrupted over Utah was likely a hobby balloon. 
The balloon was detected at an altitude of about 44,000 feet Friday, but NORA determined it didn't present any sort of threat to national security. The balloon was described as being 50 feet tall, carrying a small two-foot cube. On Saturday, NORA made another announcement saying the balloon was monitored from the ground until it left U.S. airspace overnight. The news comes a year after the U.S. tracked a possible Chinese surveillance balloon for multiple days in American airspace. A suspect is being held in connection with the kidnapping and murder of the Georgia nursing student. Deanna Kodak has the latest. The University of Georgia's chief of police said Friday a 26-year-old man was arrested for the murder of 22-year-old Lakin Riley, whose body was found Thursday in a wooded area near the school. Police Chief Jeff Clark identified the suspect as someone who lives in the area but is not a U.S. citizen. Lawmakers will return to Capitol Hill on Wednesday with just three days to pass a government funding bill and avoid a partial government shutdown. Scott Carr has more from Washington. Despite what the so-called Republican Freedom Caucus in the House has called for, reports say House Speaker Mike Johnson has been pessimistic about using a stopgap bill to extend the deadline. Johnson said Friday he would move a set of four appropriations bills forward as a single package ahead of the first deadline Friday. While Democratic House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries said again the Democrats are willing to find common ground on legislation including ways to keep the government funded. Another remaining eight bills would have to be voted on by March 8th. AT&T is going to provide customers affected by Thursday's network outage a $5 credit. In a statement on its website, the cellular provider is saying that customers will receive it within two billing cycles. AT&T says a software update is to blame. The service disruption started early Thursday and was a major headache for many, with phone services very limited. GPS maps failed and some 911 calls did not get through. AT&T serves more than 100 million customers according to the company's website. Joe Biden is set to host the four congressional leaders on Tuesday to discuss funding for Ukraine and ways to avoid a government shutdown. Speaker Mike Johnson, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, and House Speaker Leader, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries will be on hand to highlight the urgency of passing the bipartisan national security supplement, according to the White House. Congress will return to D.C. this week, facing deadlines for funding the government. Donald Trump is the winner of the South Carolina Republican primary. County results show the former president winning about 60 percent of the vote, while his opponent, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, won about 40 percent of the vote. Trump telling his supporters Saturday night he'll focus on immigration if he wins the election, while Haley has vowed to stay in the GOP race. Trump again questioning why Haley remains in the race and said he's looking forward to the Michigan primary, which is next on Tuesday. We're so glad you're listening to EWTN. Stay tuned. Walk through the doors of Cantoro Italian Market in Plymouth and you are instantly transported to Italy. Hi, I'm Teresa Tamio, and you can choose from a curated assortment of unique food and wines that you won't find at your local supermarket. Fresh handmade pasta, gourmet wine and cheese made from scratch bread and desserts and high quality meats and poultry. Don't forget to stop for lunch or dinner at the attached award-winning restaurant. For directions, visit CantoroMarket.com. That's CantoroMarket.com. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. The question of gender identity is divisive, controversial, and often painful. How should parents respond to sons and daughters desiring to change their gender? Will the church remain free to teach that we are created male and female? What do the sciences say? We'll find out on March 2nd when Father Gabriel Richard High and Ave Maria Radio host our annual Familiaris Consortio Conference. 
Responding to Gender Dysphoria in Truth and Charity. Attorney John Bursch takes on gender ideology. Professor of Endocrinology Dr. Paul Cruz covers the sciences. Father Sean Kilcauley speaks as a pastor. And you will bring plenty of questions for our panel. Be there Saturday morning, March 2nd, from 8.15 until noon at Father Gable Richard High in Ann Arbor. The event is free, includes a light breakfast, so register at AveMariaRadio.net or FGRHS.org. When the need for senior care arises, home is where the heart is. Visiting Angels provides home care for mom or dad up to 24 hours per day, including personal care, meals, and light housework. You may select your professional caregiver with Visiting Angels. More information at visitingangels.com or at 877-374-LIVE. That's 877-374-LIVE. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Unveiling the Covenant is the newest program from Ave Maria Radio. What is a covenant? It's a vowed exchange of lives which results in an unbreakable family bond. Throughout Scripture, God seeks to espouse all mankind to Himself in an unbreakable covenant bond. His covenantal love is a free gift, but it necessitates a response from us. We are free to accept or reject it. Let's learn what this means as we unveil the covenants. Saturday mornings at 11 and Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. Interesting piece in the New York Post recently. Why is noting married people are happier and kids do better with married parents so controversial? And I thought it was an excellent piece and it focused on a new book by our friend Brad Wilcox. And he's with us this morning. He is the professor and director of the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia and the author of the new book, Get Married. And he lays out in the book and in much of his research over the years the benefits of marriage and family and what that means to people. And it's not coming at it from a religious perspective. It really is what the research has said over the years. Brad, great to talk to you again. So let's talk first of all about putting this book together. Uh, I imagine that it took a lot of work, but there is a lot of research out there to really support getting married, correct? Yeah, Teresa. We're just seeing more and more evidence not by by the day. Uh, There's a a study in Chicago telling us the number one factor explaining why happiness is falling in America is that fewer and fewer Americans are tying the knot. So that's just kind of one of the, and there's another Gallup study kind of coming to a roughly similar conclusion, talking about happiness or well-being driven most by marriage, not by things like education and money. So a lot of Americans are under the misimpression that life's about money or work or, you know, schooling, but what we see in the data is that the number one predictor of happiness is either marriage oftentimes or especially a good marriage. What's so interesting about this is I I can attest to this because my husband and I have been married just over 40 years, and uh, we thought when we got married, even though we got married in the Catholic Church, we really didn't think we we had to do much work after that, and we found very quickly that our focus was wrong because we were focusing on just what you mentioned, money and success and career, and pretty soon things started to unravel, and we're like, well, what's going on? The world is telling us one thing, and, and why aren't we happy, and why are we fighting so much? So you would think after a while that people would, would get a clue, but what it seems like they're so insistent in general on pushing back against what not only the research says, but if you look at personal experiences, so many studies out there, Brad, showing how unhappy people are. 
Yeah, I mean, as I, as I kind of argue in the book, we are hardwired to connect, and yet there's so many forces out there that are basically pushing us to be, you know, disconnected. And I think, obviously, most recently, it's sort of smartphones and social media, but there are these other factors that we just touched on, too, in the way in which our culture tends to kind of prioritize consumerism or careerism. And these are things, too, that really lead us to disconnect from our spouses and often from our children. So um, we're just kind of facing an uphill battle right now in recognizing and realizing that that which is most important is often that which is closest to us, and that sort of the products of a you know of our colleagues at work or some random people on the internet are, are not that important. So, in terms of your book, what does it show about the impact marriage has? Let's start with not only the couples. You mentioned that already in terms of the happiness factor. But what about children? What impact does it have on children? Well, in looking at the data on marriage and kids, I mean, there's just tons of research showing that kids are more likely to flourish when they're raised by their unmarried parents, you know, they're, for instance, uh, much less likely to be sad, much more likely to be steering clear of drugs and alcohol. But I think the most striking finding for me in this research for the book was that I found that young men who are raised apart from an intact married family, you know, apart from their married dad especially, um, were more likely to end up in jail or in prison than they were to graduate from college. And by contrast, young men raised by their own <clears throat> parents and their own uh, intact uh, biological home were about four times more likely to graduate from college than they were to spend time in prison or in jail. So it's just kind of an incredible connection between kind of family structure and flourishing kids and some ways especially flourishing young men. We're talking with Brad Wilcox, professor and director of the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia, about his book, his new book, Get Married. Now, you've been getting some pushback for this, and in this article that I mentioned from the New York Post, you're not the only one. When others have, other experts have talked about the really the good signs of marriage and what that means to society and children, the pushback is huge. For example, the article talks about Melissa Kearney, University of Maryland economist, who was warned by colleagues not to publish her recent book, The Two-Parent Privilege, How Americans Stopped Getting Married, and started falling behind. So those of you who are looking at the secular research and putting this out there are getting some pushback. And this is just so crazy upside down because, as I said, we're, we're seeing more and more studies coming out about how lost children are. They have no hope. They're not happy. They're turning to drugs. The CDC just put out a report just recently showing how many young people are turning to alcohol and drugs because there is a huge sense of what? Of hopelessness. And we see about these studies on loneliness and everything else, and yet... They don't want to hear it. Yeah, I think that the issue here is is really twofold. One is what I call the minus mindset, and that's about kind of this focus on, you know, doing things your own way, oftentimes with a career orientation, and family can be seen as an obstacle to, to that. But I think the other piece here is there's a kind of a progressive idea, what I call the family diversity myth, that every single kind of family form is equally valuable that there's no particular value to marriage and that all the kids need is love and money and marriage has nothing to do with love and money. So those two different things, the modest mindset and then this family diversity myth are you know, two of the cultural factors that I think make it difficult to underline the importance of marriage and family for our kids. 
Now, what about the issue of, of cohabitation? Because we see a lot of couples still choosing living together, even though there's a lot of research to show that that doesn't help if you're getting married. Those who live together have a less likelihood of the marriage succeeding. So what does your research show? Does, does your research add to that? So I've got colleagues, Dr. Scott Stanley and Dr. Galena Rhodes at the University of Denver, have looked at this issue. What they find is that sort of the biggest risk when it comes to cohabitation is what's called sliding into a relationship rather than deciding to be together. And what they're seeing is a lot of couples say just kind of slide into intimacy, both sort of physical and emotional intimacy, and then just slide into kind of living together. They've never really been deliberate about kind of figuring out if they're a good fit for one another. They've got common goals for a future. And it's kind of just you know, moving in together without any kind of plan for marriage. It's the most risky for your future when it comes to both the quality of your marriage and the stability of your marriage. And by contrast, couples are much more kind of decisive. They're talking about common goals, making sure that they're on the same page, moving slowly, both physically and emotionally, um, towards marriage, are much more likely to be flourishing. So that's one piece of the evidence that I've seen recently in competition. The other, I think, piece of evidence that's most um, striking is some work done by a professor at Stanford just kind of showing that the more partners you have, probably partners you have prior to marriage, the more likely you are to land in divorce court. So um, the bottom line here is that kind of taking a more deliberate approach to dating, uh, to relationships, and moving more slowly, both physically and emotionally, looks like you know the most sensible strategy right. when it comes to finding a mate. Now, before we let you go, I know you have a class to teach, and, and thank you for joining us this morning. Really appreciate it. But it is amazing to me in the research when, that you pulled together. You're not going at this from a, a Catholic or an evangelical or a conservative perspective. You're just looking at the social science. And so they're still trying to label you as this uber-conservative and claiming that you're trying to push these certain things out there, some of the media articles that I've seen on your book. And, and, and we've, we've had you on before. This isn't your first rodeo with dealing with this kind of thing from the culture. So what can we do to, to talk to people about this and get them to realize that the, the natural law, actually if we're having a conversation with a person of faith, obviously this supports what we teach in our faith. But what would you suggest to have a, a, try to have a level-headed conversation about this with someone before we let you go, Brett? Yeah, I, I think the point that I make is just to sort of point to some you know, of our older thinkers who are, who are not Christian um, and not Catholic, you know, like Aristotle, who said that we're social animals and to kind of build our discussion around this whole issue of sort of marriage and family with the recognition that we're hardwired to connect and that most cultures and contexts have managed to sort of build their family electric civilizations around marriage. And given that kind of pattern, you know, what kinds of conclusions can we draw about the value today of forging strong, civil families, not just for ourselves and for our kids, but for our communities and for the civilization at large? In terms of, and I, I'm pretty just let me know, good news, I have another two minutes with you if you can hang on. I know you have to go real soon, but I just, I, I just want to get this in because it's so important. First of all, before we let you go, where do we get the book, Get Married? Uh, Amazon's great, um, and you can get it also at Barnes Noble and BradBullcox.com. Okay, now do you think, given this book and other information that's out there, because this isn't, again, your first rodeo, there's tons of research out there, that sooner or later people are going to start waking up and realize that doing, getting married, that this is a good thing, not a bad thing, and that making a commitment, sacrificing, this is how you're going to be truly happy, not keeping it all to yourself. Do you think we're getting to that point? Are people starting to wake up? The short term, I think, is still pretty bleak. Um, there's just so many forces in social media that are us away from you know, forging strong civil marriages. 
but I think the science is very strong here, and we are some subcultures, um, including you know religious ones, have gotten this myth and are internalizing it and becoming much more influential about how they approach not only dating but also uh, <clears throat> equipping uh, couples who are already married to flourish. And one ministry, for example, is Communia, which is doing a great job with Catholic and Protestant churches across the U.S. So I would think that this would be, speaking of uh, Catholic and Protestant churches, something that might be good to share in uh, marriage prep or engaged encounters and things like that. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's helpful for people to know that um, not only is marriage really important for them and for their kids, but to also know that there are things that they can do to strengthen their marriage. So in my book, for instance, I talk about the importance of communion. And one example of that is regular date nights. Couples who have regular date nights are much happier and less prone to divorce. I talk also about the importance of cash, especially having a husband who's a stable, reliable breadwinner. That's also a huge predictor of avoiding divorce court. So these are some of the kinds of things that pre-candidate could stress. And, of course, most importantly in that context, what my research shows is that folks who attend church are about 30 to 50 percent less likely to end up getting divorced. Yeah. Brad, great work. Thank you so much for your courage in putting this out there continually. The book is Get Married. Why Americans Must Defy the Elites, Forge Strong Families, and Save Civilization by Brad Wilcox. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Catholic Connection, on a busy Monday morning. We've had the opportunity to not only interview, but uh, meet Chris on many occasions. Chris Faddis does a great job with Solidarity Healthcare. He's the president. And Chris, I can't help but think, and I'm really glad that we're talking about this today because there's so many stories in the news about the pressure that health uh, insurers and also families and and different medical uh, areas, medical facilities are feeling because of this push for so-called gender-affirming care. Just that that term alone, Chris, is so deceiving. It's just like, oh, pro-choice or reproductive health care. So what's happening in terms of, and I know you were just at a, at a conference talking about this, what's happening in terms of making people aware of this, especially in the healthcare industry? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Teresa. Great to talk to you again. You know, one of the things that's happening, which is, which is great news, I, I believe, is that, you know, the truth is finally really being put out there. You know, the, the Academy, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics just put out a, a study which to, took a review at 60 studies on gender affirming, as you, you know, quotes, uh, therapies, and whether or not they actually are effective and, and what the actual effects are. And it found that it actually is uh, that gender affirming treatments don't benefit youth, it says the group, and also uh, has irreversible consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it found even facts that some of the studies that are being cited to say that these gender therapies are helping youth, actually, when you look at the data, say the opposite. One study said that suicidal ideation was down in use of gender-positive gender uh, treatment, as, as opposed to the truth, when you look at the actual data, shows that it was double the suicidal ideation from, from these same youth when they, when they had the gender therapy. So luckily, the physicians are speaking out. They're starting to actually put the news out there, the word out there about this. And um, I, I would say this is good news because hopefully it's the beginning of the end of this uh, disaster. What's interesting about what the American College of Pediatricians did, and they're known as the more conservative versus the American Academy of Pediatrics, which I believe has lost its way, unfortunately, in many issues. But in terms of the studies that they reviewed, they were in studies from you know, super uber conservative you know, medical experts. These were just the general studies that were out there, right, the information that was out there and available. Yeah, the, and these are some of the very studies that the, that the left has used to cite uh, saying that you know, these, these therapies are good because, again, 
like you said, they, they take these studies and they, they make them say what you want, but when you actually look at the data, when you actually boil it down, um, you know, you really have to see what's there. And, that, and these, these studies, it was over 60 studies that they reviewed uh, that they, you know, took a, a fine-tooth comb to actually see what, what do these studies tell us. Uh, and the reality is what we've seen from other places, just like in, in the U.K., where they closed their gender right. clinic that was funded by the government and was so far advanced, they closed it because of very similar data that showed there was little to no effect and, in fact, more harmful effects by the therapies that they were promoting. And also the fact that many of these kids were being led into these therapies when they just had simple psychological issues that just needed good counseling and therapy. And then we heard the congressional testimony last summer of experts such as Dr. Miriam Grossman, but then many young people who are detransitioning, and they were not given the psychological examinations and the assessments that they were promised, right? These places that are still doing this so-called gender-affirming care or surgery, whatever you want to call it, you know, that's the semantics that they're using. They're rushing them through on the medications. I don't want to call them medications, but on the puberty blockers and these other dangerous things and then pushing them through the surgery. And that's actually what's causing a lot of these whistleblowers to speak up because they believed that they were going into, especially the place you mentioned in Great Britain, they believed they were doing good. They believed in the cause. They thought they were helping young people. And they thought that the place where they were working was going to provide really good psychological care and really examine these people to see if they truly struggled with gender dysphoria or if it was something else, but they found that they were just rushed through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes even further than that, Teresa, where we have what we're seeing is that people, you know, adolescents are coming to a counselor or a psychologist or even a school counselor with simple, simple issues like, I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I don't feel like myself. I don't know who I am, right? But, the, the same thing that you and I would just call junior high, mm-hmm. right, is, is being used to manipulate these kids into uh, these therapies. And that's coming out more and more, including in some of the studies that came out of the U.K. clinic um, and others, that, that these, they're being not only rushed through it, but even led to it when that wasn't what they came with. They didn't say, I feel like a boy or I feel like a girl. They said, I feel alone and abandoned. And they, they're being, those things are being led the wrong direction instead of getting good quality psychological help. And then on top of it, when you look at some of these therapies, especially the hormone therapies, the cognitive function that is affected by these interventions and using these high doses of hormones on, on boys and girls is affecting their mental development as well. It's affecting mm-hmm. their brain during the most important time of development in adolescence. Their brain's not yet formed. It's not finalized. It's not done and yet we're cooking it with something that is going to affect that. And it's, it, it is actually causing further mental, mental health issues. And, and honestly, what it seems might be even longer lasting mental health issues than they had before. So, Chris, what effect is this having then with all of this happening? Because this is very expensive stuff we're talking about with, with, with the drugs and with the surgeries. What impact and also the political pressure is this having on the healthcare industry, do you think? Well, on, on one side, it's certainly raising costs. I mean, if you look at what, what the Obama, I'm sorry, excuse me, the Biden administration is, is proposing right now with Section 1557 rules, they're going to enforce a rule that would, would require insurances to pay for these kind of procedures and therapies. Uh, so that's going to increase costs. On the other side of it, it's actually increasing profit because it is a massive profit center for hospital systems 
uh, and these gender clinics, um, you know, for them. So it's a whole whole new revenue stream that wasn't there five or six years ago. We're talking with Chris Fattis, the president of Solidarity Healthcare, about the impact of the uh, transgender agenda on healthcare and on our country in general. So we know information is starting to come out, as you just mentioned, with the American College of Pediatricians. We had that, that big uh, congressional testimony uh, event that took place over several days last summer. We're seeing more people over in Europe who are very pro so-called gender-affirming care who are going public now and, and leaving that uh, area of practice and speaking out about what's happening to the young people. But in the meantime, in the United States in so many ways, we seem to be going, you know, fast forward. I did a story in CatholicNewsAgency.com has this on their website today, Chris, about a family in Indiana that had to go to the Supreme Court. They just filed with the Supreme Court because the state took their son away because they were trying to get him therapy for what they thought were other underlying issues, and the state said, no, he's transgender and you're harming him, and they took him out of his home, and they had to go to the Supreme Court. So it seems to be still full speed ahead in the U.S., Yeah, it really does, and I think it's it's obviously driven by by a very ideological bent because every time you see these studies come out, you you know you see them hidden or like we talked about, you see them you know the data manipulated, and so you know there there is definitely a push. I don't know why. I mean, we typically are behind Europe and and Canada on these progressive you know policies, and and I don't know why we wouldn't take the heed the warning from several countries in Europe who have backed off, but we're continuing. And 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 again, you know, Section 1557, the the non-discrimination rules that the Biden administration has proposed. They held off on, on releasing the final rule for over a year now, which was which is kind of surprising, but it looks like that's coming any day now. We, we, I was talking to friends in our world in D.C. recently, and they just said, yeah, we're, we're expecting it the end of this month or next month. So they're still planning to push forward this agenda, and, and I don't know why. You, you should be looking at the data. That's, we have the benefit of the data coming from these other countries. Let's take it. Let's learn from it. And let's not make the same mistakes that are, that are destroying some of these children's lives. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, where do we find out more about the great work you're doing and how we can make a difference in this area? Yeah, definitely visit us at SolidarityHealthShare.org. Um, and also, uh, Teresa, visit us at the Solidarity Foundation, which is where we're furthering this work in other areas of healthcare. SolidarityHealthFoundation.com. Well, pre- about the resources here at Catholic Connection. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate the great work of an old friend. Not old in age, but old. We've known each other for a while. Ken O'Gorick is the Executive Director, Secretariat for Evangelizing Catechesis in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And he has a new book, which is a first of a three-part series published by our friends at the amazing St. Paul Center, the website stpaulcenter.com, Breaking the Bread, a Biblical Devotional for Catholics Year B. Hey, Ken, great to catch up with you again. Absolutely, Teresa. Always great to spend time with you and all of your listeners. All right, so let's start uh, in terms of this is part of a whole, obviously, three-part series. Is based on the cycle of readings in the church then? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's, uh, it's the sort of thing that, that you, you would read, you know, once a week. Um, it's only a few pages uh, for each week. And, yeah, it's tied to the Sunday Mass readings, uh, featuring awesome reflections by a guy you might have heard of, Dr. Scott Hahn. Sounds um, somewhat familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, Scott and I collaborated on this, on our collaborating, I should say, on this series. So Year B came out first. That's just kind of the way the, the, the cookie crumbled. 
and uh, and we're wrap we're working on uh, or we're yeah we're about ready to send year C to to the printer and it'll eventually be a four book or a three book series. Can you buy the whole series together, or do you buy them individually, or how does that work? Well, as of now, we're we're, we're uh, making them available one one year at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, certainly, uh, and and again, a, a lot of folks are aware the church has a three year cycle of Sunday right. mass reading. So, so yeah, so sometime next year when year A comes out, I imagine we'll uh, we'll have a way for people to buy them all at the same time. And I think it would be cool to have a really cool box to put them in, like a box set. You know, so Ooh. we'll have to we'll have to see about that. <laughs> So describe it for us, because I'm looking at the website, which, by the way, yeah. you can find the, the, the starting of the series at St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, that beautiful, uh, they're doing so much great work there. But it's a beautiful, full-color, cloth-bound companion, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We really wanted it to be um, a, a, a book that's beautiful in every way. So the folks at the St. Paul Center did a great job of, of just producing the book itself. It's small enough to fit in a purse or a, a backpack or what have you. There's lots of beautiful art in it. Um, but yeah, again, it's just a, it's a book that Scott and I hope are going to help people prepare for Mass and, and really, really kind of have a chance to reflect on the readings a little bit ahead of time so that when we're at Mass, you know, uh, we always get a lot out of Mass, right, if, if, we, if we put something into it. But, right. uh, but we're hoping this will help people uh, with their experience of, of Mass, but also just their, their daily or, or their weekly, in this case, uh, check in with with our Lord, you, you know, just just that relationship we have with Jesus, and listening to to how He guides our hearts and our minds throughout our life. Well, it's going to make the Mass so much more meaningful if you connect with the readings and learn more about them. Years ago, my spiritual director got me into the habit, and Dominic and I had already been doing the daily readings of the Mass on a regular basis. But he said, before you come to Mass on the weekend, you know, for your obligation, spend some time in the Scriptures. And so I, I still do that before I go to Mass. Mm-hmm. I get there early because Dom is a deacon and he's serving. So I use that time to read, yeah. to do the Mass readings and do the reflection for that day. So when the, the readings are said, I kind of already have insight. But this is even in addition to that. So you could still use your daily devotionals, but this is really going to break it open, right? Yeah, and one thing Scott likes to point out about this series is, even though Scott is a is a is a super scholar, this right. this, this devotional it's it's not a, a highly academic book. I mean, it's, there's great content, obviously, because because he's involved, and I, I I just tried not to mess it up, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it's really meant to be accessible just for just for your average parishioner, you know, just an opportunity to to get a little background on the readings and kind of how how they all fit together. And then really my big contribution to the book was each week there's a, there's a catechetical piece that right. connects a, a couple of basic doctrinal or moral teachings of the church to the reading. And then there's a, there's a little prayer each week and also some questions uh, that, that folks can either reflect on themselves or, or, in addition to that, I should say, really just discuss with family members and friends. So it's, it's, a, it's a highly practical, just a practical book. Talking with Ken O'Gorick from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis on a book in a three-part series in which he worked with uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, stpaulcenter.com, Breaking the Bread, a Biblical Devotional for Catholics. And the first one we're looking at is Year B. So how did you get involved in really uh, developing a love for Scripture, Ken? Take us back. Well, gosh, I mean, it, it really goes back to, in fact, it's funny, I was just, just talking with a coworker about this the other day. Uh, I, I went to Catholic elementary school, and we mm-hmm. went to Mass every, every day, you know, every, every morning, the 8 a.m. parish Mass was, was the school Mass. So, 
so really from an early age, in addition to God bless my parents for taking us to Mass every every Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation, I was able to hear Sacred Scripture proclaimed um, every day, really, as a kid. And it's funny, you know, I remember even as a first grader, uh, you, you know, at, at, at Catholic schools in particular, kids will lecture and things like that. So yeah, I remember. I remember even as a first grader, actually having the opportunity to lecture. So it started early with me. Um, I think it was really in later years when I when I really came to appreciate how God often speaks to us in a direct and personal mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. When we reflect on sacred scripture, that was kind of an aha moment for me. Um, that wow, when I when I make this a part of my daily prayer time, oftentimes uh, Jesus gives me guidance or comfort or whatever it is that I need in, in a very direct and personal way, not only with sacred scripture, but I always remind people that sacred tradition also com- is part of what comprises the Word of God, you know. So, so those two uh, ingredients in our daily and weekly uh, prayer and reflect, uh, reflection life are, are really powerful ways to, to have that personal disciple relationship with Jesus. And don't you think that sometimes it's as if the Lord moved the readings around to fit your particular situation? Like, okay, that's just too, like, coincidental. But there's no such thing as coincidence. Yeah, time and time again. You know, and I I often tell people, too, a lot of times it's about patterns. I mean, sometimes there's a... There's kind of a one and done, uh, you know, one off uh, uh, moment that does happen, of course. But oftentimes, again, when 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 these things are part of our daily time that we spend with our Lord, oftentimes over the course of of, of several days, we we just we see patterns, and it's it's as if Jesus were uh, assuring us and reassuring us and encouraging us. Yes, this is. This is a direction I want you to go in, or no, that's not that's not a situation that really you should get involved with. And Ken, you've been involved in evangelization in the Catholic Church for more than three decades, right? Yes, yes. As you said, I'm 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 your I'm your I'm your middle aged old friend. <laughs> but but it, Scripture is huge in evangelization. I mean, how do you find it works for you in terms of working in that area of evangelization? Well, I, we we um you know praise God. Uh, I, I would say when the Catechism of the Catholic Church became available in English in the mid-90s, we started to see a lot of really wonderful Catholic scripture study resources. Um, and, and, and it isn't that everything before then was, was awful, but, but really, in some ways, the Catechism gave us, gave us an opportunity to see how, how our faith just really all fits together in a beautiful way. Again, sacred scripture and sacred tradition. So, so really what we try to do, as you, as you started this segment with, you know, we're all, we're all about good resources, you know. Right. So, so it's always been part of my work and my role in, 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 church, in church leadership ministry, making sure that folks are aware of the wonderful resources that are available. Not, again, I think a lot of what's out there now, it helps people connect the dots between sacred scripture and sacred tradition and, and have that, that really a, a fuller experience of, of Jesus, who is the Word of God, right? Yeah. And you know what's so beautiful about this? Working with Dr. Scott Hahn, and you know this, and you mentioned this early on in the interview, he is extremely, obviously, well-educated in the faith and, and you know, has so much background in theology and scripture. He's a great scholar. 
but he's very real. He and Kimberly spoke to our group for the Good News Marriage Cruise uh, in January, and their talk was so down to earth. They both they spoke separately, but together in the evening, he he spoke first, and then Kimberly spoke. And so it wasn't like this really heady stuff where you couldn't relate to it. And, and I don't want people to think that about Scott if they've never read his work, because I, I think it's just amazing. And something like this makes it even more real, I think. Yeah, he, he's one of those especially gifted people who he, he can kind of draw things out of, 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 of his highly academic background when it's appropriate mm-hmm. for the audience. Mm-hmm. But he also, as you said, he, he's a down-to-earth guy. So, yeah, anyone... Anyone who's ever heard Scott speak or read any of his his many uh, other books, they're they're going to love this devotional because it's him just just laying laying some some helpful information out about the Sunday Mass readings in in very again accessible, approachable ways. And I try to write that way way too, Teresa. You, right. you know, you, you've been around me in terms of. When I write, when I speak, I'm right. I'm not trying to impress anybody with with, with big words. Uh, you, you know, that, that's just when I golf that I use impressive words. But uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we, we want. Does it help when you really use the help. impressive words on the golf course? <laughs> only, yeah, only when they're words of prayer. But no, we we want we want people we want people to use this resource to 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 really help their relationship with, with Jesus in, in full communion with his church. And, and so we wanted to make it accessible for just, just sort of everybody who's sitting there in the pew. Yeah, what, what I love, and I love the imagery because I'm a very visual person with a TV background. I think that makes a difference. Yeah. So in yeah. terms of the images, who did that for you? Where would you get them? Yeah, gosh, you know, I, I, I can't take any credit for that. I often say I'm, I'm an inferior designer, you know. Uh, graphics are, are just not a strength of mine, but praise God again, the, the St. Paul Center um, and, and the, the folks who work specifically on Emmaus Road publications, mm-hmm. they really scoured, they scoured um, just uh, the available sacred art that's, that's, that's out there, you know, for folks to use in various ways, got all the necessary permissions, of course, and really incorporated that into year B. And again, folks are working feverishly on assembling year, year C, so we want this we want the words on the page, but also every few pages, those beautiful images to just to just yeah. capture capture folks' imaginations and draw their hearts closer to our Lord. I was just going to say that that image can really set the stage in terms of really looking at the image and then and then as you're reading it to go back to it. It's just a, it's just a very calming thing to see those beautiful mm. images of Jesus in, in in the book. Okay, one last question. We only have a few minutes left, and I'm I'm very excited about this because <laughs> we're going to be there. Uh, God willing, Ave Maria Radio and EWT. The Archdiocese of Indianapolis, and I'm sure the entire uh, church in, in Indiana, is very busy with all the prep for the beautiful Congress, which is already coming up this summer. Crazy, as we've been talking about it for so long. How's it going, do you think? I would say it's going very well. Now, now I, I, I've been referring to, you know, we, we hosted a Super Bowl a few years ago. Um, in Indianapolis, so I've sort of been been uh, calling this almost the like Catholic a Super Bowl, Bowl. A, yeah. well, a Super Bowl of Catholic faith, yeah, because th- there are similarities, right? Tens of thousands of people are going to be in our city, um, and uh, so so a, a lot of folks might not know this. We used to have National Eucharistic Congresses somewhat regularly before World War II, but for various reasons, we haven't had a gathering quite like this in over eighty years. So, um, so people who want every detail two years in advance, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been that kind of experience, and that's okay. Um, the planning is going well. 
there are already tens of thousands of, of full five-day tickets sold, and, and, and day passes are now available. So, so we're, it's coming together. It's coming Good. together, and it's going to be a wonderful experience. And, yeah, we will see each other. I have no doubt about that, Teresa. Yeah, exciting. Hopefully maybe you can join us on the program. Ken, thanks so much. Great to talk to you again, and God bless your work, all that you do for the Archdiocese, but also working with the amazing Scott Hahn and the team there at the St. Paul Center. Breaking the Bread, a Biblical Devotion for Catholics Year B. Our guest has been Ken O'Gorick, who did this book with Scott Hahn. Again, check it out, stpaulcenter.com. We will put a link to it on the archive section for Catholic Connection. And we'll be right back. Stay tuned. More Catholic Connection coming your way. Today's programming on 990 WTEO is brought to you in part by Gift from Our Day Sponsor. The annual Rose Mass for Catholic Healthcare Workers, celebrated by Bishop Boyer, will be at 4.30 p.m. Saturday, March 9th at St. Thomas in Ann Arbor, followed by a reception in the Parish Hall. Karen Bussey, Director of the Mother Teresa House, will speak on redemptive suffering. Suggested free will donation is $20. RSVP at cmalansing at gmail.com. That's cmalansing at gmail.com. If you have sustained conversation with non-Catholic Christians, one of the things that always comes up is, why do you confess to a priest? Why would you go to a priest when you can go straight to God? I would say, I would say, well, look, I went to Jesus, I looked at his word, and it told me to go to a priest. (laughs) It is interesting, one of the first things you notice, right towards the end of the Gospel of John, that Jesus himself determined to forgive and retain sins through human intermediaries. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And Jesus commissioned his apostles on earth to speak in his name, to forgive sins or retain sins, not just metaphorically, but metaphysically. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays from 4 to 6 on Ave Maria Radio and AveMariaRadio.net. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Dr. Ray Garendi of The Doctor Is In has been described in many ways. Sensitive. Are you kidding me? How'd that thought even bounce into your head? Insightful. I am flat out clueless. But at least I'm aware that I'm clueless. Empathetic. Oh boy. If I were in your shoes, I'd jump out. Right now. Well, nobody we know would use these descriptions. Just the same, you can talk with Dr. Ray yourself every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. I hope you know how much we appreciate your listenership here at the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network as well as the Ave Maria Radio Network. And we always say we are all about the resources. So just remember, anything you hear daily on this show, you can check out. You can go to, for example, the EWTN Religious Catalog through EWTN.com. You may also go to the archive section of Catholic Connection at AveMariaRadio.net. And all the resources are there for you. This is also a great way, by the way, to witness. Sometimes if you're challenged by a friend or a loved one on a particular topic and you hear us talking about 
an issue, right, that has come up, especially, right, over the holidays or a special occasion, you can go to or tell your friend or family member with whom you're discussing something to go to one of these sites and to listen to a program or you can send them to the link to the program and they could hear it for themselves. That's why we call Catholic Radio part of being a member of the Shy Evangelist family, right? Because we do the evangelization for you and you can pass it on. We'll talk to you in the next edition of Catholic Connection. Thanks again for listening. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connections.